it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Navy Federal Credit Union has the tools and services to help you put your money to work. And you can get started with as little as $5. Small steps now can mean big earnings later. Learn more at NavyFederal.org save. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Welcome back to the Team Never Quit Podcast. Thank you guys for listening, watching, most importantly, subscribing. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel because we're dropping new videos soon, very soon. And we've got some fun stuff on the way, like arm wrestling contests. How soon? Hot sauce contests. Hot, so- hot wings. Hot wings contest. challenges. We actually have an arm wrestling contest coming up. Yeah. Too. That's what you say. Oh, that's what I was going to tell you. I saw yeah. Over the Top was on the TV uh, menu this morning. What a coincidence. What a coincidence. So, so hey, yeah. So, just so you know, our producers and, and Marcus have challenged each other to an arm wrestling contest. That's not true. He challenged me. So, if I leave, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of shit talking going on. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, it's going to be live. We're going to have the table, the whole nine Pay-per-view. yards. I'm going to wear the shoes. You can come in and ref if you want. How about that? I like that. I know, yeah. bro, because you do you have one of those ref heads now. <laughs> we'll get you the You know what I mean? Shirt. Like, you look all sophisticated yeah. and stuff. We got a Patreon question for you guys. Dakota Harvey asks, what's the most memorable story from your time in the teams? Do you have one you can share, or do we just need to share the Texas Roadhouse story? We don't have time for that. Uh, that's a long... That's lo- that's man, a, that's a that's great a, question, but that's a long... I mean, the, the detailed story with the thing. With, and the, with and the, the thing and the thing. thing, and the thing. And the so as soon as you said the best story, so, I mean, I had so yeah. many of them blow so, through my head, my Rolodex. In the community, it's like Vegas. Stays in Vegas. What man. happens... Okay, Dakota... Sorry, buddy. Sorry. Okay, how about this one? Tactical shotgun of choice for homeowners. D12. I got a Benelli. D12. D12. Extended with an extended tube. I have one of those too, but that D12 sawed off. It's about, what is it, two feet long, side by side. Every time you pump that slide back, I I keep that sucker hidden. That's my go-to. I've got a Benelli with an extended tube with short rounds in it, slug, and Double up buck. Yeah, for home protection, always go with a shotgun. It's the, it's the most recognizable sound on the planet is when that sucker racks back. Man, there's oh, no yeah. other sound like it. Oh, yeah. What do you think, Kevin? You, you know what you go along with that, buddy? I think that's a, that's a good choice right there. Yep. You got anything else? Or just you, you shotgun you? you got green beret, like a flamethrower or something? Which, what do you, what do you rocket launcher? <laughs> you guys are... <laughs> you, you probably got an engineer. Shit, right? yeah. I know, right? Your whole house yeah, is probably going to be Yeah, he's got like claymores and shit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if you want to ask your question, make sure to join us. Patreon.com slash Team Never Quit. Hey, guys, we've got a great guest in store. 
In 2011, on his second Special Forces deployment in Afghanistan, Kevin Flight was shot in the abdomen and sustained life-threatening injuries. He survived, but was left with 20% of his colon removed, a fractured hip, a damaged femoral nerve, and endured six surgeries that left him with over 40 inches of scars. Today's Kevin's mission is to inspire others and help with their own journey to physical, mental, and emotional healing. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Yeah, thank you guys very much for having me on the show here today. Oh, yeah, bro. Hey, we got a file on you and everything. Check it out. Nobody like, welcome says to the team, classi- baby. says classified. It only took getting shot and doing everything else, but and, now we're together. And I want everybody, all the listeners to know that Kevin, he... He shaves his head, and he has a one. Of, he has one of those perfectly shaved heads that looks good when you're shaving. Because Marks and I have like really bushy eyebrows, so when we shave our heads, we look like we look dumb oh, as shit. Like, like, weird, like a gang member, gang, gang, gang member, gang, 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 gang member, gang member. Embrace it, bro. You look good. So I finally learned to embrace who I am, and it's a shaved head type of guy. <laughs> <laughs> it took going through. Hey, all did this you? Did, you did the missus tell you? Is like, hey, take it, t- take it, take it off. Or did you just finally? Yeah. When you finally make the decision to shave your head, you're typically the last person out there to realize. Who really wants to do it? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Because you think the rest of it looks good. I was giving him a hard time. I told him he had a good Roy McCracken going on from the pictures that I that I saw of him. So do you have one of those head head blades? Not Roy, Earn, Big Earn, Big Earn, Big yeah, Earn McCracken. McCracken, yeah, Bill King Murray. King. Sorry, Bill. A lot of people used to say it was like Hezekiah Munson too from uh, Kingpin. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we're talking about. Big, oh, yeah, I'm talking, yeah, about, yeah, okay. I'm talking about Big Earn. Big Earn, the bowler. The he ball, had the, the his, comb, Bill the... Murray's character. Yep. So yeah, that was my uh, nickname going to the Q course with Munson. Because, uh, oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Because of Kingpin. Fun with this. That, so. <laughs> I nailed it. Bro. Yeah, you got I nailed it. Nailed it. Nice. Kevin, why don't you wow, take us back? People, my, my celebrity lookalike is Woody Harrelson. That's what a lot of people think. You do. Look, have you yes, met him? You have. Not yet. Uh, we got to get that done, too. I never met him. You do look like a young Woody. I'd like to meet him. I'm thinking more like Cheers, Woody, you know, right now. Just started watching Cheers during the quarantine. I was going with the white man can't jump, Woody. I'll take that one, too. Yeah, man. That was yeah, a great movie. About, about, about that That's good. Great movie. I like it. Wesley. With the West, the snipe man. Kevin, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. I, so I'm originally from a small town in upstate New York called Stillwater. Uh, it actually grew up right next to the Saratoga battlefield from the Revolutionary War. And so I think kind of the proximity to where I grew up and the history of the area, you know, the military was something that was uh, pretty inherent in my life. You know, with my father, he never served. My grandfather was in World War II, and that was kind of something that was incredibly prominent within our family. Some of my earliest memories are watching like History Channel documentaries on the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, so that was just something that was really prevalent in my family. And the town I grew up in was amazing. Uh, small town, America. I had great coaches, teachers, mentors. They set the foundation for really who I am and also had great parents. You know, my father, he graduated second to last in his high school class, didn't finish college, uh, but had this incredible desire and drive to be an entrepreneur. And, you know, set up a bunch of companies, failed a bunch of times until he finally hit it big with, uh, with an idea and so that was kind of the environment that I grew up in, right? Where you have an idea, you have something that you, a concept of something, and if you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it, you can get it. And that was what my parents really installed in me. It's like, there's nothing in life out there that you can't have if you're not willing to work hard enough for it. And every day I'd leave to go to school, my mom would kiss me on the cheek and she would say, hey, Kevin, look, you're a flight, you're an achiever, right? Like I set the tempo for the day for me. It wasn't, nothing was going to get handed to me. I had to go out there and achieve and, so I think coupled with 
growing up in this family business and, and seeing what you can do if you put your mind to it and having a mother who just like completely believed in me really showed me hey, there's just nothing out there that I wasn't capable of doing if I didn't, if I wanted to. I was fortunate. I got to go to an all boys Catholic military school. I didn't feel very fortunate at the time. Like I that was a, <laughs> that didn't sound like, like fun a, at all. That's a hell of a lineup. It, it was great looking back. Definitely not, uh, not great when you're, you're marching instead of going to gym class and stuff like that. But uh, similar to, to you, Marcus, right? You're four, I was 14 and I'm sitting in my military science class and I see a Navy SEAL Hell Week video. We got to watch that old Discovery Channel special. Oh, decide an option. Oh, decide an option. That was yeah. the deal. <laughs> yeah. Half, half, half the class isn't paying attention because they're 14. The other half's looking out the window. You know, most people are like, why would anybody want to do that? And I'm like, oh my God, I feel like I found my calling in life. Like, right when you saw it. As soon as I, same thing. When we, when we saw that video, I was like, that, that's, that's what we're going to do. we're going to do right there. So for me, right at 14, I'm like, I want to be in special operations, right? It was kind of this fascination, how hard it is, the camaraderie, right? The barrier to entry, the dangerousness of the missions. And, you know, at this, the, the, the school, the Catholic school, they, they taught me the biggest three things were to love God, love country, and put others above yourself. And so to me, this just fell in my lap of like, this is the way to, to love country, to serve mankind, to put other people above myself. And so it was just this fascination that I had. And then in my senior year of high school, that's when 9-11 happened. And so it goes from like this fascination to, all right, this is your duty to do this. And, uh, you know, ultimately went to college fully with the intention of saying like, when I graduate, I'm, I'm going to join the military once I graduate from college here. Did you do well in undergrad? I, I didn't really do great. Um, and it's partially because I kind of had this, this pull all the time of like, Hey, there's this war going on right now. You're in the there's wrong spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're out there fighting and I'm here partying, playing college football and the president of my fraternity. And I think that really, really nagged on me quite a bit um, throughout that whole process. So it took me a little while to kind of turn it up, I guess, academically. Uh, but, you know, throughout that process, I knew I wanted to, to go into special ops and really kind of specifically the Green Berets. So I minored in Mandarin Chinese. I minored Are you in kidding State. me? <laughs> no wonder you didn't do well in college. Oh, no wonder. <laughs> Dude. God almighty, son. I took 19 years of Spanish. I don't even understand it. Oh, yeah. Hola. <laughs> the, uh, I, I, I said to my dad one day, my dad, I, I got to learn another language for what I want to do afterwards in the military. I mean, I got to learn Spanish or Mandarin Chinese. And he goes, I do a lot of business. You know, all my business is with Chinese companies. You got to learn Mandarin Chinese. And so I'm like, all right, dad, I'll do that. And then the first class, I'm sitting in there and I'm like, why didn't I choose Spanish? Bro, did you, what What was your language after the queue? It was Mandarin. Oh, you went back? Okay, because you had a pre, because you'd already been, all right, cool. Yeah, so, you know, tailored my studies towards um, really to, to going into the special forces. And, you know, the more I looked at everything, I looked under the special operations umbrella. For me, um, the, the the Green Beret mission, De Oppresso Liber, to free the oppressed, uh, just really spoke to me at the time. To have that opportunity to do the foreign internal defense, you know, to work hand in hand with the local uh, militaries, militias, uh, train them, fight with them. Like there was really nothing else I wanted to do with my life at that point. But, uh, you know, this is 2002, 2006 while I'm at college. I, I'm very vocal in my support of the wars and it's a Northeastern liberal arts school. It's not a very popular opinion or decision to, to join the military, but felt like, you know, no matter what people said, I, this is the thing I knew I had to do with my life. And, you know, I think out of my graduating class, 508 people, four joined the military, 
I was the only person to enlist. And then, you know, I said earlier, my father, successful entrepreneur. And so it was also kind of foregoing an opportunity to walk into a family business that was doing about 20 million in revenue a year to go make $40 a day. No wonder that chick at the Cape married him. Right. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he's trying to play us, man. What's up? <laughs> you think we was going to catch that? You didn't think we kept that? Did you? <laughs> Here we just said. Uh, said my, uh, Cause none know, of my... the girls up at the Cape ever looked at me for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Were you wearing Nantucket reds in a collared okay, shirt? Okay, so I didn't get into that till a little bit later. They told me they're like, "Hey, you're you're dressed wrong." I was like, "Well, all right." I don't even know what that means. All <laughs> right, go ahead, yeah, finish it up. So, so graduating, yep. Yeah, so uh, you know, graduated in 2006, uh, joined the army in 2007, and you know, did the 18 X-ray program, which essentially allows you to. I think it's probably similar to the SEAL challenge. Uh, yeah, where fast track. Yep. Yeah. Fast track, right. You get to go to selection. If you get selected, you get to go to the Q course. If you make it through there, you go to the Oh, teams. you're an SF baby. Or, yeah. That's right. Well, I remember when that program came online. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was, used uh, to not be the course or uh, or the way it was. You guys had to wait a while. Used to right. be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember because but when we got hit, you had, to be a, you had to be a sergeant before you could go in. Oh. Uh. Yeah, so it was it was kind of like relatively new at the time. People were feeling it out. There was a lot of hatred towards the 18 Oh, they hate it, man. I remember hearing that, bro. God dang. You could pretty much count on, uh, you know, people taking out a lot of hate and aggression on you as an 18 X-ray. But, you know, at the time, it was it was good training. <laughs> good times. It's always a good time, yeah. Good I'll never forget this. everybody I was in class with, man. They were just, you know how we are. No one talks more crap than we do about our own, especially younger, next class coming in. Yeah, so, you know, I, I joined, in, um, joined in 2007. I was, you know similar, right? Same thing as you guys going through buds, like, you know, it's got pushed physically and mentally beyond anything I thought was, was humanly possible. Uh, but it, it got me really uncomfortable. It put me into a lot of different positions. There was an incredible amount of personal growth in there. And, you know, one year and 363 days after joining the army, I got my green beret and I'm standing in formation and I'm like, all right, man, like for the rest of your life, you are always going to take the hard road. Because yeah. this is one of the most amazing feelings. It ever. is, right? Like, damn. Yeah. And so I think for me, that that really just kind of set the tempo for me as to what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Like, I just never was going to desire the easy route and always go for, you know, what was going to be the hard thing. And, and I'm sure it's the same with you guys. You get pinned, you try it on, you put your brain on for the first time. Like, it's the happiest moment of your life. But boy, you just don't know what's waiting for you on the other end. The you next know. day. <laughs> Yeah. They don't tell you that. Yeah. They leave that part out. That's not even in the recruiting video. Hey, what would you say to any of the boy, any of the guys coming up at the Cape or come from, because we all come from different lifestyles. And that's what most people don't understand about our community and the SF is like, you got the, the, the billionaire's kid and then the poorest kid alike. Uh, The separation between us is only, we kind of know what that is between the the seals and, and the green berets and everything like that. And you figure it out more and more as you go along. But a lot of pe- people have this, there's this misconception or preconceived notion about what the military is, but it doesn't matter what your background is or what kind of family you come from, man. You're, it's just like a university. You're stepping into it. There's fraternities in there, like the Green Berets and the SEALs. It's a life within itself. I mean, it, did everybody try to talk you out of that when you were, before you went in? 
Oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's always like, hey, what are you doing? There's a war going on. Are you crazy? And I'm like, I know. That's why I need to do this, right? Or or they they throw out statistics of like, fifteen percent of people make it through there, and I'm like, well, I'll be one of those fifteen percent. Yeah, it's just, I think when you go when you go out and make a hard decision and a tough decision in life like that, um, you know, all of a sudden you're going to get a lot of people who think they know it's better for you, but it's ultimately up to you to decide like what what is the best path for you. And a lot of these things that I went through, you know, I, I didn't really understand at the time, but they were just kind of training me for the rest of my life, like sure. me through these situations to make sure that I was always going to do the best thing for myself. I remember when we saw, when we saw the first video and we started talking about it, and then it got to the point to where. I mean, right when I saw that, I knew that's what I was supposed to do. Like people ask, like, how do some guys make it and some guys don't? I was like, or how, what is? It? I was like, man, there's not a doubt. Like you, you know, that is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And whatever I got to go through to get to it, that's different. Because that's that's part of the, the the journey. And everybody's is different. Every 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 guy, every team guy in SF has a different path. I mean, we're all in the same deal. But he, when you're going through it, it's like, oh, it's, that's why they put us together so we can understand yeah. what's happening. Because if you're going through it. Well, you, you, you couldn't get it by yourself. That's why they call it the teams. Right. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? But I remember I remember feeling it in my in the pit of my stomach. Not only in my heart, like the lust kind of that you see because it's cool and everybody's liking it. I mean, after everyone else stops liking it, you're like, you know what? This is the, this is exactly what I was designed for. It, the way that I felt was the same way. It was like there is nothing in life that I'm so sure that I need to be doing than this right now. That's right. Everything else, I was like, yeah, you know, we'll do this or that. But then there's certain things you'll know as soon as it shows up. Be like, man, I'm, this is exactly what I was meant for. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it proved that every step of the way took me. You know, with the people that I've met and kind of you, you, you talked about this a little bit earlier. <clears throat> there's a lot of preconceived notions out there about the military and teams and everything. Of hey, it's just poor kids. It's people don't have opportunities in life. Um, yeah, I, that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, when I went to basic training, that was like one of the best cultural wake up calls for me ever, because you know, I've been going to private school since I was 12 till I was 22 from the Northeast, hadn't had a ton of exposure to around the country. And I go to basic training, I'm at infantry basic training. And all of a sudden there's just like people from all walks of life. And I'm like, this is awesome, right? I'm, I'm meeting people I never knew existed before, but we got to put those differences aside. We got to charge forward. We have missions to accomplish. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. I mean, because you always hear what, what 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 your parents and everybody around you says about everybody in there, and then you, you're, it's scary going in there. I mean, I, it, fo I found out in basic training that not everybody in the country studied Texas history in sixth grade. 
I didn't know that was. I thought y'all all did that. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you study Texas history all through school? You probably studied New Freaking York history weird. in sixth grade, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I was a college grad in boot camp and thought that everybody studied Texas history <laughs> in the sixth grade. Anyway, sorry. So, um, you know, graduate in uh, in two thousand and nine, and because of my language, um, I, I went to the first Special Forces group on Fort Lewis in Tacoma, Washington. Our area of expertise in the world was uh, Asia. So. For me, you know, keep in mind, I'm married the whole time, married at 23. You know, my wife is kind of moving around, following me around the country, moves out to Washington. And as you guys know, right when you get to the teams, it's just like, all right, great. Pack your stuff. It's time to go, go, go. go. get on training or deploy here. And um, my first like trip overseas to the Philippines, I was there for a month and a half. And it was a great trip because it's a, it's a tough environment. It's not like an Afghanistan or Iraq, but it was a good way for me to get my feet wet and to work with a foreign force, work with the government there. Um, and while we were there, you know, we got the warrant out. We were going to Afghanistan. Uh, we got back from that, went to Afghanistan four months later. was there for seven months. You get home on a Friday, you come back to work on a Monday. It's like, good job, boys. You're going back again in seven months. By the way, we need you to go to Thailand. We need you to do all this training. You're going to be home for three months in like two years. Uh, so you know, that, right. Uh, yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, the whole time I'm married, I see kind of my marriage disintegrating in front of my face. Um, you know, never home. And when you're home, you're training and, uh, definitely, you know, the, the period in between deployments call that the dark winter, uh, my wife and I, just cause of the mental state that I was in, the, you know, the drinking that was, was starting there and, I had a lot of tough times we'll, we'll go into probably later here, but a lot of people think it, it started after I got shot. I think, uh, I think the ball was already rolling down the mountain uh, at that point. Cause there's just a lot of things I wasn't addressing. And for me, it was really tough to go in between deployments and just have that rapid pace like that, because I never felt like I could relax at home. So I'm like, if you relax at home here, right, you're going to let your guard down and then you got to go back and you're going to get somebody killed here. So, you know, we went back in 2011. We went back to the same location in Kunduz up in uh, northern Afghanistan there, working with the Afghan commandos, work with the same guys. And very lucky, right, that we have to, you know, we got to go back to the, to the same location, right, to get to work with the same guys we had trained before. So we were able to just, like, hit the ground running. And, you know, there wasn't this whole, like, build rapport period. We were just, like, high-fiving, hugging each other, welcome back. Now let's, uh, let's pick up where we left off here. From there, the deployment was was great um, in 2011. It was much different than 2010. If you think back to 2010, a lot of the focus in Afghanistan was down at Helmand and Kandahar. That was a gnarly year. Just, just so we can clarify to the listeners, you were deployed in 2010. And yes. And you were deployed in 2011. Right. Yep. So 2010, I spent seven months in Afghanistan a uh, month and a half in Thailand, and I'd say like another three weeks training. So maybe home for, for three months that year. Um, and then the team, you know, we went back to another train up in the beginning of 2011. And we 
we were out to Oregon in March of 2011 to go back for, uh, and it was, it was going to be an 11 month deployment, which was supposed to be at that time. I think, I don't think they've, I think they learned their lesson, but it was going to be an 11 month deployment, the longest special operations deployment of the GWAT. So essentially they're looking at having our team be in Afghanistan, working commando missions, doing movement to contacts for 18 out of 24 months. And they wonder why we can't stay married. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You, you bring up the point about being married. I mean, that was just brutal, right? Like going through that whole process, seeing what it was doing to my wife, you know, me kind of working through the demons on things. And then you get back in country and I try to do a much better job communicating with my wife kind of with the outside world and, and did the best that I could in that regard. But uh, high op tempo, things changed in 11 to 10, you know, 2010, the big focus is on the South, Kandahar, Hellman. We were up north, you know, didn't get a lot of support, didn't get a lot of supplies. 2011 comes around, they're like, wow, it's pretty bad up here. Um, and, we, you know, all of a sudden we have all the air assets we need. And the, the more that we got, the more was expected of us. And so the op tempo of 2011 was, was pretty significant. And actually had the opportunity to work with Team 7 quite a bit uh, in 2011. Some great dudes up there. And uh, they were in Faryab province in the northwestern part. And so we would link up with them quite a bit. They're doing like a village stability operations type of thing. And we yeah. had that commando mission. So yep, yep. help them, uh, you know, essentially patrol white space. And so actually, you know, seven months into this deployment, um, we kind of have this campaign in Faryab province there. The SEAL team had just uh, embedded into a different village. So we were helping them clear some of the valleys out, give them a little breathing room there. And it was basically just a regular valley clearing operation for us. You know, we would get dropped off at one end of a valley, go through, look at the little clusters of mud huts, talk to people, see what was going on, you know, look for weapons caches. And like every one out of five times, we get into a firefight. And so September 25th, 2011, right, we're doing this kind of in support of that team out there, clearing out this valley. And we land just just before the sun comes up and you take one look at this thing and you're just like <laughs> there, there's that instant of like holy shit this is gonna suck right <laughs> yeah you see how big the valley is you see how many places you have to search and you just look at it and you're like there is like so many places to hide and fight in this thing like this is just gonna be well, everyone we can see there's three that we can't right and it's you know, every, every step you take, right. That's your first step on that ground, but you're going up against people that know that thing, like the back of their hand, oh, right? man. And I t- tell people that too. I was like, imagine just fighting in your own house when, but somebody else showed up and not only yeah. that, you have underground tunnels that have been there since uh, forever. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you, we land, I have that initial thought, we start clearing and just as that sun's coming over those mountaintops, uh, that, that just, sound like pkm ak-47 rpg start ringing out and you know one of my teammates is in a near ambush and so you know a couple minutes go by on the radio that's flaring up everybody's there's a hundred different plans proposed you're just trying to figure out what's going on and we ultimately decide to just drop on that location drop some bombs and once the bombs drop it kind of thought hey that's it for the day we are you know, that's the excitement we got lucky one guy got shot but uh on this day, man, it really just served to embolden the enemy. Yeah. And after those bombs dropped, we went back and forth in this valley for the next 10 hours, just kind of pushing through yeah, until in that 10th hour of the firefight, I was going around the corner of a building 
I'm trying to, to gain a vantage point as to how I'm going to lead my squad down the slope into a dry riverbed we're taking fire from. And all of a sudden, it felt like somebody just came up to me and hit me in the stomach with a sledgehammer as hard as they could. Yeah. I'm suspended in midair. I just like think to myself, I think you've just been shot. And, hey, yeah. never been shot before. You don't know, right? <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> what, yeah. what, what got you? It was, uh, let me, hey, let me pull it out for you right now. Yeah, I know you got, got it. it think, yeah. right there. What's up? Seven sixty round right here. Nice. Oh, good, Jess. Nice. You don't even yeah. have it in a box. I'd be wearing it around my neck. I know. Why haven't you? It's in the uh, it's in the urine sample cup that they shipped it over with. Ah. That's even better. Yeah. I saw the picture on the video where they yanked it out of you. Yeah, they it pulled it even... out of my butt. I think they cleaned it. So it didn't even mushroom, did it? No. I mean, super lucky because that's crazy too that it didn't do that. I mean, it stopped. Like we're pushing through your soft tissue like that into your colon, and it's still. I mean, I think that's a testament to, you know, how strong my... How my tough butt. your abs are? Your six-pack abs. <laughs> your green braids, man. You guys got, you know... Six-pack abs. Yeah, eight, ten-pack. Like a gay porno <laughs> hard, right? Just fucking... Steel. I mean, yeah, can you top bullets? <laughs> I can. You know? No, but I can catch them. Yeah. <laughs> I caught a bullet. Yeah. A yeah, bullet yeah. trap. That's awesome. So, I mean, really lucky. The way the bullet went in, it went... Goes like an inch below the body armor, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, of yeah right, right there. Of the... course. And it's uh, when it went through, it went through my hip, so it fractured my hip. But got really lucky in that regard because a lot of times when a bullet hits a bone, Dude. it starts bouncing or it shatters. That's unbelievable. That didn't, especially hitting you in the hip like that. God, yeah, dang, uh, God's watching out for you, man. Oh, it's uh, is that sniper pretty? It was in an elevated position because it was at a downward angle. If I remember seeing that picture correctly it yeah obviously because it went down through it's right right under your navel right too yeah yep so yeah like, you got two belly buttons now i got it i got a nice zipper too yeah okay. oh, i got one of them too yeah yeah those are nice i got the front and back so like if i had to step out this whole thing <laughs> <laughs> i've never been shot. i'm the only male in my family we'll give a lot of shit for that i've been shot <laughs> so i'm okay with that yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hey, you know what? I'll tell you. I'll, I'll ruin the surprise for you. It sucks, right? <laughs> right. I'm sure it does. There's been a helicopter yeah. crash. So, I mean, you kind of cleft out of the hole. You, you go either way, I think. Yeah. 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 I, you know what? I'd rather get shot than be in the helicopter crash. So I'm going to give you that oh, one. Shit. That's what I say, too. I was like, that sounds like the most terrifying thing ever to be in one of those. No. Like I mean, when metal, yeah. when metal stops flying, no, no, it no, like no. makes a noise. <laughs> it made a noise. <laughs> Yeah, so one of your buddies was wearing a helmet cam the whole time they were working on you. Right. It was, uh, how many times have you watched that? <laughs> I've seen the edited version. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have the flood about a 40 minute uh, reel of the whole thing. And uh, yeah, I remember the first time watching it, it was by myself. Like, it was, it was pretty surreal to see it. And it was amazing because I was awake for the whole thing. Sure. So it wasn't. I'm seeing this the first time and saying, oh, wow. They, did they juice you or not because of the stomach injury? Normally, they don't. We, they teach us not to juice. If you got a head injury or, or a bowel kind Dude, of the way, he was, no, the way he was, they didn't give you any They didn't give you morphine, any, did they? No, they uh, gave me yeah, fentanyl. Yeah, that's what. Oh, fentanyl. Oh, shit. Well, there you go. <laughs> One of fentanyl yeah. lollipops. That ought to tell you how bad it hurt because even as they were carrying him off. Oh, dude. 
He was the, still yeah, letting, I mean, he was still letting people know, hey, hey, this shit sucks. They they kept yelling at me. I don't think it's in the uh, the video. Like Kevin, don't bite it, don't bite it. And like in my mind, I'm saying, okay, I got it, but I, I couldn't like formulate the words to tell them, like, I all right, I'm not gonna bite the lollipop. I'm just gonna lick it. Don't worry. But, uh, <laughs> if you swallow that whole thing, we got to come in after. Yeah, because we just tape it to the to the hand, right? And then that way, when you yeah. would have it, when you pass out, it just you know it falls right out. <clears throat> that was our logic, anyhow. <laughs> yeah, but- no one ever thought that a team guy would bite that thing. I mean, like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a fentanyl lollipop for a team guy? One. Yeah. <laughs> Better off. Not just shove this thing in my ass. No, no, right. slow, slow roll it up the backside. Well, that's hilarious. So they care. Yeah. So, um, did you guys hate for my own edification? Did they get the? They get that old boy that popped you? They they did get the guy, and it's a pretty cool story. Um, my teammate Ben Wise uh, was the one that, that killed the guy, um, and Ben, unfortunately, uh, two weeks before the, the team came home, he was killed in action um, on our team. And Ben's brother uh, was Jeremy Wise, who was on SEAL Team Four, and then later on was was contracting. Wait, wait, wait! I was about to say, man, is they got a brother? Wait, wait, wait. Jeremy, yeah, yeah, Wise, yeah. Jeremy, I think yeah, he Jeremy, was killed Jeremy, Jeremy Chapman. Say it again. That Chapman, right? Jer- Jeremy Wise. Yeah, he was killed. Uh, so he was killed at Fob Chapman. Yeah. Back in, in uh it was like December 2009. Jeremy was in my buds class. Was he really? Yeah. Yes, he was. Yeah. I didn't know he had a green break. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy Jeremy and I graduated buds together. You yeah, know how small I, I know our worlds are, man. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. Um wow, I didn't I didn't yeah, I had I, no idea. I, yeah. Uh so I didn't really get to know Jeremy. I knew Jeremy through Ben. Um, ben was best friend, man. Um, when he died, you know, gave, did the eulogies for him. I, the Bible that, that he and I read from, which was mine, was buried with him. Um, just guy taught me how to soldier, how to be a man, how to love God. Uh, just awesome. But, uh, you know, so Ben was on <clears throat> one of the ridge lines. He's the best shot on the team. He was a, one of our medics too. And we put him up there because he's the best, best shooter in the last conversation that Ben and I had, you know, I was, I'd gotten hurt and I'm back at Fort Lewis to do all my recovery and I'm about ready to walk into the facility. And all of a sudden I get a weird number on my cell phone. And that always meant it was a call from like Afghanistan guys would call me, see how I was doing. So I pick it up and it's Ben on the other line and we're talking do bullshit. And then, and then it turns to the day I got shot. Right. Cause the whole day we're talking, I'm in the Valley, he's on the mountain we're talking all day coordinating and uh, you know, he and I started kind of running through the day. He's giving me the, his perspective, giving me my perspective and, you know, talks about how sad it was. He starts crying and felt like he couldn't do anything. And team was supposed to come home in like three weeks. So I was like, all right, man, I can't wait to see you. It's going to be amazing. Right. And uh, didn't know that would be the last time that I talked to him there, but the last conversation he and I ever had was, talking about that day and you know it really kind of ended with him saying hey man i just want to let you know that we got that guy so um yeah that's that's kind of like the the story behind that is the last time he and i got an opportunity to speak with each other god that's terrible man well you know how it works man first month and a half to two months and the last month and a half to two months usually when we get our asses handed to us because we hadn't gotten our battle rhythms yet we had a point man in ramadi coming when we were coming out of there, Chad Stodden, he's a firefighter in Colorado. 
and uh, he uh, he got hit with a round. It wasn't, the gunfight was on the other side of the river, and it came in, and it, bro, <clears throat> his is still in there in front of his spine, and looks just like your your, your you know that piece of jewelry you got. They're collector's yep. items, <laughs> and he he still carries his in there too. Dude, man, I jacked him up, but he's a hard yeah. dude. Um, but yeah, you know, um, it's, I'm happy I got to have that last conversation. It was a, actually an awesome piece of clarity for me. Um, I'm just getting somebody else's perspective on things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, he, you know, kind of going back to the story there, um, you know, after kind of getting shot, I called the team up, I let them know my location. I started trying to treat myself and I, nothing I can do, right. There's just a gunshot wound to the stomach. There's, there's nothing, nothing happening there. And, the, uh, you know, I looked up, um, after calling again on the radio, I see an Afghan and luckily he runs out, he drags me to cover, gets me behind there. People start working on me and, you know, I can hear people going up to the medics saying like, is Kevin going to make it or not? <laughs> and, uh, You're like, you know, little yeah, you... yeah, right. I'm like, oh, guys, I'm right here. You're happy. I'm calls. listening. <laughs> I can hear you. I didn't get shot yeah. in the head. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions and... Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit you know, guy that I went through the Q course with who never paid me a compliment in my life is like crying, telling me he loves me. And you're just like, damn, man, like this is, this is it here. You know? Yeah. We need to start training our guys to like, when something bad happens, let's say, Hey man, just talk to us. Like, Hey, if you don't make it, can I have your boots? <laughs> yeah. Cause I would try and joke. I, what about, I was working with one of my guys, he got shot in the chest too. It, as I was sitting there, one of the guys was like, Hey, you know, if he didn't make it, I just went like, shut the fuck. What are you even talking about? I was like, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. <laughs> Positive reinforcement the entire time. Exactly. Yeah. So the only time hearts and minds come into play with us is if one of our buddies gets shot and you got to keep his ass alive. Cause if he's laughing, he can't die. You can't yes. die if you're laughing. That's a, that's a rumor. You actually live forever. If you laugh out loud, I think you get younger, actually. When we have those good, you know, we're at the team room, those good belly laughs you can only get when you're around the boys. So yeah. I, you'd always try to do that. One of my yeah, instructors taught me that. Humor has uh, has gotten me through some pretty tough situations. Oh, bro. Before getting... Man, that's the best medicine. So how far did they did they litter you out right there? How far did you have to get carried with a, with a gut shot before you got heloed out? Yeah, it was about, it was up in the northwestern part of the country. Yeah, it was really kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So it took about 45 minutes from the time I got shot until I got loaded onto the helicopter. You get loaded in the same spot or did they have to transport you? They had to transport me. So How far yeah, was that? It, it, I think it was pretty far for them. Yeah, they kind of 
you know, it's kind of going through the maze of the, the Afghan village. And yeah, 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 around. Oh. yeah. The, the first movement was through an open field. They were like returning fire, receiving fire. And then they finally get me onto the helicopter. That had to be exciting, a, just laying there while that was going down. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We just, just strapped in a damn, strapped down, uh, gut shot, and then there's a gut, well, their guys are carrying you in a gunfight. Dude, that, because when we do those drills in class, you're like, this would suck in real life. And it, no body armor, no yeah, helmet. Nothing, right? right? Just <laughs> laying it. <laughs> Sitting on a SNESCO. Sitting on a so, It's awesome. Yeah. So it had about a 15 minute ride to like the surgery tent. I get there. People are like frantically prepping for the surgery in the background. Surgeons asking me questions and said, do you have any questions? And I was like, well, am I going to live? And uh, he's like, I don't know, man, it looks pretty bad. What do you, uh, do you have any last requests? And so, you know, I asked for that bullet that I showed you guys earlier. I don't know why, but thank God I did. And then uh, said, I, I need a Catholic priest to give me my last rites because I think I'm going to die. And, just remember that mask coming down my face and, and asking God for forgiveness for my sins and saying goodbye to this world. And then I would say my first recollection came about four days later. And I'm like, Hey, am I in heaven or hell? And the person's like, neither son, you're in Longstool regional medical center in Germany. And I'm like, well, all right, well, this is kind of like purgatory. Purgatory, <laughs> Yeah, it's purgatory. Cause I remember when I died too. And then when I came to uh, same thing, doc was standing over top of me and, and, uh, I was kind of looking around. He's like, hell was full. That's why you're back. That's why I have that tattooed <laughs> on my arm. I, yeah. Two people said that to me. And then when I got home, they gave me a t-shirt that said that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So yeah, congratulations. You died. And now you're back. Yeah. It, it's a, it's crazy too. Cause it's like, that's the mentality. I feel like you got to have with guys like us, right? Like you got to add humor into it. You got to like bust their balls on. Things. Oh man. But one of my buddies comes and sees me in, in Germany. He got hit with two grenades and he got shot a year earlier. I'm that's, you know, 20% of my clones removed. My leg is paralyzed because it hit my femoral nerve. Hip is fractured, tubes hanging out everywhere. And he comes in and he's like, hey, listen, man, like plenty of people have been shot. Don't be a fucking pussy about this. Boom, <laughs> right there in the face, yeah. in the face. And, you know, you're like, that's, that's what you need to hear, right? You don't need people coddling you. You don't need to feel sorry for you because that sets the temple for yourself to feel sorry for yourself. And I spent like a week in Germany. I went to Bamsi at uh, the Brook Army in San Antonio. When I was there, I was like, damn, man, plenty of people have been shot. Plenty of people have lost their arms. They've lost their legs. They've been burned from head to toe. And you were pretty lucky to be in the condition that you're in. I really wanted to try to keep that mindset the rest of the rest of the recovery there your road to recovery an arduous one nonetheless they had you had a femoral break femoral artery break so they took the they took a nerve from your left left leg to the right leg correct uh left leg so it's it actually is the femoral nerve um which yeah runs like parallel to the, to, to the yeah yep yeah. okay and they did uh, a replacement so there do you have full your full full mobility actually i saw a video of you running yeah yeah the the you know, when I went and did the surgery, it was experimental at the time. I did it at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. Been there. there was, Great place. The best. <laughs> the, best. <laughs> the best. We've been there. Awesome place. Awesome place. <laughs> yeah. Can't say enough good stuff about it. Um, at the time, the only place in the country that would, would do anything for me. Um, so, you know, you went through the surgery with them. They took a nerve from my left leg. I have no feeling in my left leg. It makes for very awkward conversations after I'm like, rubbing somebody's leg for an hour, sitting next to them, have no clue that I'm doing oh, yeah, it. No, yeah. Yeah. Nervously run through the story <laughs> with them, make it even more awkward. Right? 
Like Mr. Deeds. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Go ahead, hit it. Hit it. Come on. Hit what you give Why it would you do that? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I did the surgery just similar to, right, like making the decision to be a Green Beret. Like, I didn't want to have regret in my life. I didn't want to look back and say I hadn't tried everything to make myself 100% better. Should be your man. credo. You need to get a tattooed around your throat. Nah, regrets. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Not even a single letter. <laughs> <laughs> Not one letter, huh? Not one letter. <laughs> uh, so you know, the, the road to recovery that was uh, was pretty intense. I mean, it took about eighteen months for me to finally get that full range of motion back. And once that range of motion was back, you know, then you could really start to kind of build the muscle up. And so it's it's I'm I'm running again. I was supposed to run the Boston Marathon uh, this year. I ran a twenty miler. Yeah, they can't it. What a what a don't even get me started on that. Keep I thought I was about to say he was running one and got blowed up. No, they can't because of COVID. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Yep. So pretty pretty tough after you uh, had spent eight and a half years trying to get to that point. Stops, <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Because you got to qualify for the Boston, which yeah. means you're cooking if you're in the Boston, bro. Well, on you. I, I didn't have to qualify for it. Luckily, um, don't tell anybody that. Yeah, tell them you did. Tell everybody you did. Always tell everybody. I had you to did. run a three thirty in New York to qualify for Boston. Okay. <laughs> my, my, if my, anybody asks you if you're qualified, always say yes. <laughs> my daughters think I'm going to win that thing. I'm just like, all right, well, let's just hope we finish well, it. Co- yeah, yeah, we didn't go up here to lose. Hopefully, uh, Kip Chogi's not running it. Yeah, there's some, I guess <laughs> yeah, speed there. There's two, there's two ways to run it. You can qualify, or you can raise money for a foundation. And uh, I've been working a lot with. Uh, Tom Brady's facility and trainers, um, Alex Guerrero, um, the TB12. Yeah. yeah I, I started working with them three years ago and I've been going there pretty consistently. They haven't charged me any money. They treat me for free. And great facility. You know, only- I saw the, uh, I saw the highlights on that too, with there and there, they're pulling you back too. Are y'all even so, allowed to talk about Tom Brady anymore? What? Uh, yeah, I can't talk about Tom Brady anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What happened Love to you, Tom. your uh, what happened to your back? Just because I just came out of a back procedure on Friday, I remember seeing you saying that Christmas Day that you you were in such bad shape with your back that uh, that's what led you to TB12, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was back like Christmas 2000 and, man, 2016, I believe, um, 16 or 15. Um, you know, I, I had to watch the girls, you know, like two little girls, uh, open their presents while I laid on the floor because my back hurt so bad. And then the rest of the day just kind of plied with muscle relaxers laying on the couch while they're playing with their Christmas presents. And that was a big wake-up call for me. Because when, when I was back at group for the last two years in the military, went to physical therapy all day. I got out, started a career, went to school, started a family. My health kind of took a backseat to things. And it's kind of, you know, the military mentality of like, you, know, you got to put everybody else's needs above yourself, right? Like, and I was putting my family's needs above mine and I, I was the lowest, lowest, lowest uh, person there. And that day, that morning, I realized that like, if I didn't start to put my health back as a priority again, not because I was being selfish. Um, if I didn't do that, then I was just going to be nothing to nobody because this was the end result of me neglecting that and putting everything above my kind of my, my mental health, my physical health. And so that was a, a big wake up call for me. And that's, that's how I was kind of led to the, uh, the, the TB 12 centers there. And really what was wrong with my back was just, uh, you know, for at that point, five, six years, you know, my, my gait had been thrown off completely with my leg and, you know, I had to relearn how to walk in a certain way. 
and the human body's amazing. It's going to learn how to do these things. Oh man. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. doesn't mean it's going to be good for the body though. Right. Like <laughs> something's got to give. Yeah. So it just, it threw off so much stuff that I, I would have so many back problems, neck problems, shoulder problems with everything. Jeez. You need to join our fraternity. You're yeah. in it. Yeah, that's what right. this is. Yeah. So that, that that's kind of what led me to that, to, to understand that uh, it was all right for me to put these things as a priority again, right? It was all right for me to put my physical therapy, my, my mental and emotional health as a priority, because if I could get those things in line, right, then I'm, I'm going to be a significantly better husband, better father, employee, just person in general. Yeah. That TB12 played a huge role in that, reducing my pain levels and getting me back out there doing the things I wanted to be doing in my life. So after the gunshot wound and then the rehabilitation, then retired from the military, this is where I want you to, because your next phase of your life, your next chapter, when you turn that page is amazing to me because I, I turned into an academic too, after I got out of the military and you got your MBA and your MPA from two of the most prestigious schools in the country, in the world, arguably. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, I think it's, it's just proof that people make bad decisions. And when they make those bad decisions, I take them up on their offer there, right? Like, I, uh, Which one did you get into? Did you get MIT or Harvard first? So this is, you know, for, for me, uh, I always get what I want and just takes a long time probably because I'm more willing to take more abuse than anybody else. And I'll be the last man standing. Bullshit. Who <laughs> <laughs> you think you're talking to man? I didn't go there yet. I'm still taking the shit. <laughs> yeah. Going to grad school. Um, I would say probably pretty similar to like getting a green beret was, was a big fat hairy goal that I had for myself. And then after the surgery, um, right. Where did I find out I need to go to the Mayo clinic? That's when Ben was killed. Right. So I get those two pieces of news. Ben's killed. Um, and guess what? You have to have this huge surgery again. And it, it sent me into a downward spiral, man, and became addicted to my pain meds. Right. And was substance abuse, bitterness, depression, anxiety. Um, I needed a goal, right. I needed a big thing again to get me out of bed, right. Something that was huge. I could focus my attention on. And my wife really kept reminding me of like, Hey, grad school, grad school, grad school. And similar to like when I was a green, when I said, I want to be a green beret. I'm like, all right, let's set it. Let's set the bar as high as we can. And if you fall short, then you still achieved a lot. So that I want to go to like an Ivy league school for grad school. And this is, since I was shot right from the, the exact moment after I got shot, it has been the most humbling experience in my life, but looking back on it, it was needed, right? I needed that humbling to, to make me into the person that I am today. But uh, in my hubris, I applied to three schools, man. I applied to Harvard Business School, to the MIT School, the Sloan School of Management, and the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. And I was like, that's enough. That's me. I'm going to get in, right? Like, <laughs> no big deal, right? <laughs> the, uh, so so didn't even leave room for a backup. And <laughs> the rejection letters start coming in and Harvard Business School, the Harvard Kennedy School. And I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe, maybe I'm not as special as I thought that I was here. And then I got waitlisted at MIT. So I bought a plane ticket from Seattle to Boston. I flew across the country. I walked up to the admissions office unannounced, thanked them for my spot on the waitlist and said, all right, now what do I need to do to get in here? And you know, once they took that finger off the panic button, they, they sat down with me and we talked a little bit. Three months later, I got into the school 
And that fall, I swallowed my pride. I reapplied to the Harvard Kennedy School. And then I was accepted the second time around to pursue those concurrent master's degrees. What was it like going to going to both those schools? I had uh, I've had a couple of buddies that, that did the same programs that you did, which I thought was sheer lunacy. But challenging enough is just one of those particular schools, especially those programs in grad school. But doing both of them at the same time. More importantly, do you tell people that you're doing both of them? Kind of like telling everybody you're a Green Beret. We just don't do that. But when you do tell them that, no one believes you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're not doing both of those. It's impossible. It's like, why yeah. don't you do you're, that? You're full of shit, right? Like, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you said, lunacy, I think that's probably the, the right word for it. Um, you know, we, I had like a couple weeks in between moving across the country uh, getting out of the military, starting school a week before midterms in that first term, my wife, you know, we had our first child. Um, mm, throw that in up. there. Yeah, throw that That's a good idea. He's going to be up anyways. Hey, 40 out of 100 is good, right? That's right. Like, yeah. For us. <laughs> Get that snowflake. Yeah, I think for me, um, one of the things that was, was hard about it is you kind of have this imposter syndrome and you're like, well, hey, do I really? Okay. I, I really... know what that is. And I'm, yeah. I, it's, it's, since it's undiagnosable. But I'm almost positive I have it. Do you have it too? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a very real I, I thing. Very yeah. real thing. I actually, when I got back into grad school, I started researching it hard and heavy, and a lot of us have it. You're the first person I've ever heard out loud say that. Yeah. Believe it or not, most people have no, really? I've never even heard of it. I mean, I think if people were more honest with themselves, they would, they would, the majority of people would, would say that there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I struggled with that and then struggled with the fact of, you know, you're in an environment and I was the only Green Beret. I don't think there was any, there wasn't even any SEALs in my class. There wasn't Rangers, uh, nobody with a special operations background. So I'm all of a sudden thrust into this environment. I'm 29 years old and I'm like, what do I even talk to people about here? And, you know, how do I tell them what I've done in my life and my story without them thinking I'm, I'm crazy or or in a manner in which they can, um, they can understand it. So did, did one of your professors at school bring that up to you? Imposter syndrome. How no, did you, how no, did you find out about that? Um, I can't remember. I had one of my professors at Harvard say that to me. She brought that up to yeah. me. She's like, you, she's like, have you, have you ever heard of this? I think you may have it. Yeah. And that's how I found out about it. <laughs> uh, I, I just knew it from uh, probably a lot of the self-doubt that I was. Exactly, uh, right? Exactly. I, d I didn't know there was a name for it. But here's the thing, though, right? And then you get your 40 back on your exam, and you're like, okay, well, maybe maybe I, I, I shouldn't have gotten it. Maybe they were right to put me on the wait list. So it kind of bring me down an option. It forced a lot of reflection, on uh, a lot of inward reflection for myself. And I think it just it forced me to think about how I was thinking about other people starting to let go of a lot of the bitterness and the cynicism that I had built up over the years. Uh, so, but yeah, I just, I had never worked harder in my life to attain below average results. And I would walk into school every day and I'd be like, man, do you really want to do this? Cause you're going to raise your hand and say something stupid and embarrass yourself again today. <laughs> but uh, you know, over time, like the grades picked up, the speed of the classroom slowed down for me really started taking people's advice, reach out to people for help. Yeah. You know, started journaling. Practicing That's a battle gratitude. rhythm. Yeah. 
That's great advice. That would you get? Would you say that's some of the most sound advice that you ever received? Is like, hey, reach out for a lifeline. <laughs> it's okay, yes. especially to uh, our military brothers and sisters in, that are in the SF community. Hey, you can do that, and it doesn't matter if they are in a, a SF community or we're in the SF community or not. If they are, I did that in grad school all the time. People are like, hey, don't be scared to reach out and ask for help. And I was like, yeah, it took me like the end of my second year to figure that out. That's same thing, right? Like, I just wish I did it sooner. Um, and, it, and it was, it was humbling in the sense of two, right? Like I kind of had this chip on my shoulder and, you know, I, I went through this period of thinking, well, what have other people done with their lives? Right. Cause they didn't serve. And I think grad school really showed me that there's people doing a lot with their lives just because you weren't in the military. didn't mean that you, you know, oh, the, the, everybody else builds this place. We protect exactly, right, it. Exactly. So, I mean, you got to, you can't, you can't look at any other way than that. Yeah. And that was something that was like a, a character flaw, right. That I had to deal with and, you know, then say to myself, all right, well, Hey, this like 25 year old girl, who's one of your best friends, like she's going to be able to help you navigate your career and interview prep and you got to accept her help. And, you know, so just, just humbling. Is that what that just, syndrome is? No. Well, you, both of you are talking about it and that, I'm sure everyone out there, if no one's heard of it, then they have no idea what you're talking about. So imposter syndrome it's it's not a so they it, it, if you look in the DSM four it's not an actual diag, diagnosed disease, but imposter syndrome is when you accomplish great things in your life and you always internally say it was accidental, it must have been lucky, I don't deserve this. It's 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 it's, it's, it's like when I graduated from Harvard, it was just the only reason I graduated from Harvard is because I was a team guy. Not because I went to the school, did the classes. It's because they thought that that in my mind that I deserve. I just I only reason I went there is because I was in spec war. It is a it is a characteristic or a functionality of an individual that refuses to allow themselves to accept accomplishment. Would that be a good articulation of that? Do you think, Kev? Yeah, no, I would agree. Well, I didn't get into Harvard, so I'm really proud of you. I think that's foolish. It, but so <laughs> both y'all, good job. I'm but just so the the, da- the down part coming of, from the guy who didn't make it in there. Yeah. So, but the downside to imposter syndrome is that you're never, and, and it, in our eyes, it may not be something that you're you're never satisfied. You're never uh, you you will never have a sense of accomplishment in your life. Yeah, you're staying you, hungry. You always, well, you always think that it's accidental or it is, there was a, a loophole or if you want to add to this, Kevin, you can, I, I'm kind of, th- that that's about the gist of it right there. Okay. Well, that's where you're, you're just working in a team and somebody else is pulling the weight to get the entire mission done. And when you're in there doing it yourself. So like you guys, like, like you said, Kevin, it's like, man, when my first year I in grad school, I was like, oh my God. You know, I'm working my ass off here and I'm not doing well. Do I really deserve to be in this program? You're at MIT and Harvard, but you're not top of the class and you're an SF guy. Okay. You come from the 1% of the world's population. How could you not be the top of the class? I don't belong here. And then it, it, it then when it's, once it starts to unfold, even, I don't know, even after you graduated, how you felt about, I mean, do you, after you graduated, you have two degrees from Harvard and MIT, two of the most prestigious, like I said, two of the most prestigious schools in the world. But I, I would ask you, do you feel like, do you feel like you 
is there a sense of accomplishment there? Like when you graduated from the Q course, which it probably is, but uh, the best way to say this, some people hang their hat on the fact that they have degrees from those schools. Is it just another thing for you? I think for me, it's, it's just another thing. It's not to downplay those institutions or like just not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. But it's, I had this pretty surreal moment when I was like 26 or 27 on my second deployment and we're flying two in the morning on a Chinook, you know, you guys know the drill, right? You're getting ready to go do a, do a raid on a village. And I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm in charge of all these guys. And this is amazing. And I was like, you know, I hope this isn't like the coolest you're ever going to be in your life. And high school uh, football, four touchdowns, right? Yeah, keep keep hey, going. I, I was all state in my senior year. Just going to throw that out there. But see, uh, see? all right Al Bundy but uh (laughs) you know I I think um you know one of the things that I want to kind of consistently do for the rest of my life is it's it's almost a fear like I don't want to peak at 26 or 27 and so I I just want to consistently go out there and and try and achieve to the to the best version of myself right to to like for me, like what is, you know, really ascribed to what success looks like for me and just continue to get back, get after it and not, not hang my hat on anything that I've done in the past. Right. I just learned a couple of weeks ago, best phrase I ever heard. Andre Agassi said it. There's no finish line. I was about to say, man, we're ever we're SF, man. We fought in, in the mountains. The, the highest peak leads to the lowest Valley. And then the peaks in between and the plateaus. It's kind of like when we work out in the gym. People get frustrated because they hit those plateaus. Well, that's actually good. It lets your body rest. It lets you see what you've just climbed. It lets you see what you're fixing to climb. And you can enjoy the view. And then as we get our, our, uh, just remember, you climb that highest mountain, you're not going to go back down the way you came, going over the backside. That's a new route. And I mean, climbing up's one thing. Falling down, I'm real good at that. And SF guys, all we do is fall down. Yeah. I mean, we keep doing that. Uh, that's a humbleness that 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 we that's been beat into us, and when you try to transfer that into, I think into that into that world, especially at those those schools, because a lot of them guys once they get those certificates, they don't have to explain shit to you. They don't have to to justify themselves. That's actually with that that piece of paper normally they can just burn up and tear up whatever, but it, that carries a lot of weight. Same way you know in the civilian world they get the paper in the military world we get metal. That's why they put medals on your chest because you go through that stuff like you did. First, you got your medal, and then you went in and ch- finishing up. I mean, the most lethal weapon is up here in in our mind, right? It controls this whole little mechanism. So we sharpen ourselves through combat and the people that are around us. Everyone's a stone, and we're blades. They're going to polish you, dull you, or sharpen you. And then the sharper you get in the in your mind, especially as we get older, it makes you more lethal. I mean, that's always how we looked at it. All right, so multiple combat deployments as a Green Beret, wounded in action, the longevity of rehab and everything that you had to go through, picked yourself back up, had a great foundation from family and support groups. Obviously, I, I, I read that as well, that your wife was your, your rock. Dude, we need to meet her. Was she there? Bring her. Dude, that, that's, I mean. Because after, they were, after, you, said, <laughs> you said high school, you had, high high school, school sweethearts. Sweetheart. You guys got married in college or right after? Uh, we got married right after. We met the first couple weeks of our freshman year of college. College, we okay. Lived, lived said, one floor above mine. Oh, you said high school. I was like, oh, okay, cool, sweet. That that's awesome. Uh, Bro, how long have you guys been married now? So what, like fifteen years, maybe? 
Uh, we got married when we were 23, so about 13 years now. Okay. Get that MIT thing going. Come on, yeah. math. Come on. All right. And um, <laughs> I mean, so I got, I'm not just, an accountant, but I just got... the sheer, the gravity of your wounds and everything that you, sh- you all had to go through together. You you got back up on your feet, literally and figuratively, went back to grad school to Harvard and MIT, and now you work for a company. And, and your your role and responsibility is, is if I'm if I understand this right, is, is is it's almost like leadership development and strategic and st- and um, tactical decision making in this. What is it like a like a forty million dollar year year company? Right? Sounds made up. Sounds like something like a team guy would totally uh, identify with. <laughs> right. So it's like you're partially right there. It is the job was made up for me. Um, of course it was. I spent a couple of years. Spent a couple of years. Actually, it was always there. You're just the only one that got qualified to do it. <laughs> yeah. Think think about like say positive motivation all the time. <laughs> I uh, I was in finance for a couple of years. Good experience. Learned a lot. Just at Goldman, right? Life. At Goldman. Yeah, yeah. Great place. Great place to be. Right. If, if you want to be in finance, it just finance wasn't a great fit for me. And so I was able to get in front of the CEO of the company that I'm working at right now and kind of ran them through the story we just talked about and said, I, if you can let me lead people, mentor them, motivate them, solve problems and learn, I'm, I'll give you a high ROI. Trust me. And uh, he's like, I don't know what I want you to do here, but I want you on the team. So you're going to be the director of strategic projects. And yes. <laughs> what is that? I can <laughs> do that. That sounds exactly like what I need to be doing. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a lot of, right, like strategic initiatives that come down from a company. It's, you know, you're building a company. It's very similar to being a Green Beret and you're building a military, right? So a lot of the lessons learned, the problems you're going to face are going to be, you know, pretty similar along the way there. And so that, that was one of the great challenges that I saw with that was, you know, how do we get these projects from A to Z, right? How do we make sure the right people are there? People are bought in, they're motivated to do it. Uh, but also too, kind of working with people along the way. It's, you know, younger people at the company, first-time managers, the opportunity to give them mentorship about leadership and project planning. So it's been an amazing experience. I've been there for you know, almost two and a half years now, and uh, I've learned quite a bit throughout that journey there. So you're bilingual, not not in a sense like you speak Mandarin, Chinese, and English, and whatever the language you speak, because you went to the language schools of your graduate programs at MIT and Harvard. You have the ability to speak business but you also have the ability to speak because I'm a big, big veteran advocate when it's it's it, trying to get veterans jobs once they exit the military because we don't speak the same languages. There's a disconnect between what the civilian world says and thinks and how the military world operates because my resume in the military doesn't translate very well into the business world because if I read my resume and they have, well, what can you do? Well, I was a sniper. What do you do? Well, I kill people. Well, you can't do that here, right? I blow <laughs> shit up. We can. I, I blow kill, shit up. Yeah. Kill people, bro. That's what I do. Okay, well, I can't have you Door run. Door kicker. I, I, I can't have you in my accounting department. Well, I guess you could. Well, anyway, you see what I'm saying? So you are, I applaud you because you have taken the steps to not only maneuver through the business space, and even at the special, where you are now, you could very well articulate it as a special operations community because of your background in the business world and you're a Green Beret. So you have... You have that look angle. You have that perspective to say, hey, look, and if any other company is looking for veterans out there, you have the ability to say, hey, look, if you're looking for someone that does this, a, a 
and A Team Bravo can do this for you. Not only because they do this in the military, but this is the kind of individual you're looking for here. And then you can tell that to the. I, I just think that what you're doing is so special. And um, again, I applaud you for it. So, you know, yeah, you. people most. Yeah, I mean, so a lot I'm of people sleep. sit back and just rest on their laurels alone and just don't do anything with it. Learn, learning how to tell that story and sell myself was that was part of the humbling project that, uh, you know, going to grad school and everything uh, for me, because the first time I interviewed for my summer internships, I got rejected by 16 out of 17 companies. The reason why I got the one internship was because a, a MARSOC colonel interviewed me mm. and knew, knew my resume, but he's like, son, you have got to learn how to interview here. <laughs> yeah. So I, that I, was, a, those are the, you need all those rejection letters. Those are the ones we hang up on the walls. Right. Not, not the yeah. good stuff that we, right. Not the one that we made it through. Like which ones you get to? I don't even remember, but these are the ones that didn't let me in. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, that was a, that was a moment where I was like, look, man, you gotta, you gotta really take a look at how you're presenting yourself to other people. And you really have to learn how to tell this story to other people so that they can understand it and understand the value that you bring to them in a manner. In which- yeah. 16 rejection letters. That has to be the first time that you lost. The first yeah. time since you were an SF guy, the first time that you lost, and a lot of the veterans that are getting out of the military and they get into the civilian world and get those rejection letters and get their asses kicked, they don't rebound very well. Well, man, did they not get their asses kicked in selection? Because I would get those. Re- well, you get to, you, like in selection, deferral, yes, like but you, then, but then, how often do you lose when you're at the team? Your teammates don't let you lose. That's a great point. I guess the definition changes. Yeah. Right. Hey, I've had to have that talk with some guys where I'm like, "Hey, look, or man." Standard changes of what that is. Yeah, there there was a point in your life where you had enough courage to put everything on the line and go to selection or go to buds or you know any of these things. Oh, that's an what, ego thing. That's what that yeah. is. Yeah, that's the hardest thing to step. That pride, and that ego with we're team guys, that kind of deal. Yeah, like a lot of us get out and you want to go straight into the boardroom and do. I was like, man, start in a mailroom or start back at school. Right. Work your way up from just like we did in the beginning and. That way you don't have to worry about having to talk about it because then you're just, no one wants to talk to the, the, the guys at the bottom. They're trying to learn everything. They, they, it's not that you think that you're better. It's just, Hey, like you've earned your stripes. Age is ranked too. It's, it's just like I say to guys, I'm like, look, man, like you wouldn't just because somebody knocks it out in the civilian world, like you wouldn't let them come in at like a captain or a major, right? They, they got to start at the bottom. They got to earn it. It wouldn't, be a, it wouldn't be a team leader. That's exactly how I explain that. Hell, if, if we, Mojo and I came into y'all's team room and you were fixing to go out, even though we were operators, he wouldn't let us roll with you. He'd like, man, you didn't do the work up. I mean, I know what you are, but that doesn't mean, I mean, it's a cohesive balance. If you just throw something in there, because that used to happen to us, man. They just yeah. bring somebody, some guys in that want to roll with a team one night. And I'm like, man, you know, that would always make me more nervous than anything when they drop yeah. somebody in that I wasn't, Especially when I got into a leadership role. When you're young, you don't care. You know, whatever. Just as long as I take my job. When you when you get up, you start thinking about everybody else. But yeah, that's all. That's all of that comes into play. I mean, hell, after a while, you're training that whole team. Take them out of their suits and ties and throw a freaking uniform on them, and 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 see how close it is to, from the planning to the training, from mobility. This is how you need to get to work. This is the most efficient way. This is how, yeah. I mean, you can line it out just like that because that's what we were trained to do. And then you went in, Morgan, talking about you speaking multiple languages. That's a real thing. You know how, like, SEALs, we can't talk to pilots. They don't even listen to us, right? Unless you get a JTAC or, or a FAC. Same way with you guys. We always yeah. got along so well with the Green Berets, especially if one of the bastards walked in. Like, if I walked in, I was like, I'm an 18 Delta. Boom, ice broken right there. Yeah. 
That's awesome, man. Your your story is just. I enjoyed this, man. Yeah, I learned it. I again, I said I've said it a hundred times. I just, I'm just beside myself that you continued to move forward and you didn't take everything that happened to you and and made an excuse out of it. So I don't have, I have no idea how hard those programs that he's talking about are. But watching his face when he speaks about you, knowing what my brother's been through, it must have been something. Do you understand me? So, good job. What's a piece of never quit advice you could leave for our listeners? Yeah, the the biggest piece of quit, or I almost said piece of shit advice. Here's the biggest piece of shit advice I can give somebody. Here's a piece of shit quit advice right now. That was a t-shirt right there. (laughs) Don't listen to me. Shit Um, quit advice. (laughs) <laughs> Going on the wall. That's good, dude. The biggest, the biggest never quit advice I can give you is this is you know, a lot of people don't believe it when I tell them that getting shot was the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And the reason being is because it forced me to pass through a valley of humility. Right. I had to walk a mile in so many other people's shoes that I wouldn't have. Depression, anxiety, substance abuse, post-traumatic stress, everything, right? If I hadn't gone through those, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And because I went through those experiences, I have the ability to empathize with people, understand a lot more about the troubles that people have in their lives. It's made me a better husband, a better father, citizen, employee of this country. And it gave me incredible perspective on life and a ton of lessons learned to be able to go out there and share with other people to just make them into the best version of themselves. And so you know, what I would really encourage people right, to never quit is when you're going through these hard times, right? Like, like I did for years on end, where I just wasn't sure if there was even going to be an end to this thing, right? You have to understand that hard times in life are not a bad thing, right? They're a gift. Those hard times are a gift for you to, uh, to just scrape off the rough edges, to learn a lot of lessons, to walk a mile in some other people's shoes, refine your character. And when you can view it that way, that's going to give you that extra strength, that extra motivation to lift your head up, see what's happening, and you can push through that hard time. And you get to that other end, and trust me, you're going to be thankful you went through that. Well said. That was great. Absolutely. And I, and just to point this out, I think one of the greatest parts about being a team guy and going through that and then being in the world that you're in is that you don't forget the separation between where you're at now and where you were. Because a lot of people can't relate. They'll be like, man, I don't even know how, 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 how could you even understand that? But because of us and our, I, I think when we join the military, that's the age we're stuck at. Like the minute they take that civilian and they put that SF into us, we're, we're forever 23. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you got to get back out and try to regrow back up. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I watch all the guys do it. And I, from, in my perspective, I, it had to be unique. And, um, I don't know if this has happened to you yet, but I got to think that in your company, when sugar turns to absolute shit and everybody's folding and falling apart, you honestly have got to stand up and go, well, at least there's nobody shooting at us. Yeah, I mean, this is what ain't been shot yet. <laughs> it can always get worse. Right. You know, I, I think it's always good to have that perspective. And, and you have like, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. To do yeah. this, wear a shirt that's too short and like when like lean back in your chair and stretch and let them see the zip. <laughs> what happened? And then, then somebody starts to complain. Some asshole like, shot, shot me in the stomach. Shot in the stomach. <laughs> after, after I think the first two months that I was there, uh, I had the opportunity to address the company and, you know, did like a 35 minute presentation for them. They saw that video and kind of ran through my story and a lot of the lessons learned. So. 
um, it, it was it was good for them to see where I was coming from. On, sure. On my perspective on that's, things. That's your, Those are the gifts that I bled out of my stomach for a year. You're absolute somebody. You are the man that, that people can lean on. I mean, don't ever forget that. And I mean, yeah. So the things that you've been through, people will gravitate to that when they're in need or in trauma. They're like, hey, give me something. Even if they don't reach out a lifeline to you and ask for it, I know that you're more than willing to give it to them because of your humbleness. I see that. Man, that you're just valuable. I was talking to your CEO right now. I was like, you don't, you need to get this man raised. <laughs> well, she take his desk and his chair share away this, from him. Share and make this it episode hard in there. You. No light bulb. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, so, dude, buddy. I, I, I truly and I honestly, I enjoyed this conversation with you, man. I've had a great time chatting with you, buddy. Hey, this was awesome, guys. It was just like being back in the team room again. It's oh, good, yeah. right, man? Yeah, back in the tribe. That's awesome. Hey, Kevin, we open line here. Do you have anything you want to plug? What you got going on? How can people follow you? Yeah, uh, you know, if you'd like to hear a little bit more about me, um, my story, and you know, just I, I candidly put it all out there, right? There's nothing that I won't cover. You know, talk about substance abuse, depression post-traumatic stress just in hopes that people glean something from my story so you can follow me on instagram at wounded by war facebook at wounded by war page uh, you can follow me on linkedin just kevin flake uh, i'm also on the board of the green beret foundation it was, a, it was a place that was near and dear to my heart they were there for my wife and i from day one they're a great organization yep I'm amazing yep. Like, yeah i'm wearing my green beret foundation shirt right now boom notice that you guys come to the uh, yeah. You guys come. I've been to, to a couple of the galas. Y'all come to the NSF um, brain symposium every year out in San, uh, San Diego. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So hey, I love it. I've been on the board for eighteen months now. It's an incredible organization. We're doing great things. So check them out. And you know, one of the, the best parts about where I'm at right now is I have the ability to speak throughout the country uh, to companies, to organizations, and just share my story, share the lessons I learned, and help teams individuals companies become more resilient so you know you can you can dm me uh through that or you go to my website www.woundedbywar.com great awesome hey thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast let us know what you think uh follow kevin make sure you check him out on social media if you want to follow us on social it's teamneverquit.com slash social make sure you subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and uh, hey, leave us a review too if you like the show. Kevin, thank you so much again for joining us. Thank you guys for subscribing. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, thank you, guys. Later, Bye, buddy. God bless I, you. I had to tell you to one thing too, Marcus. Um, so I'm, I'm working on a book right now, and I'm working with a woman named uh, Dr. Alice Atalanta. And she wanted me to tell you that um, the reason why she got involved in starting to help veterans like tell their stories uh, was because of you. 